Welcome back to Brain Ablaze, a weekly podcast about epilepsy by epileptics, for epileptics, and their caretakers. I'm your host, David Clifford. In this episode, I describe what I have learned after recently investing a fair amount of my time into trying to improve my own memory. If you're new to Brain Ablaze, I just want to state that I'm not a medical expert. I'm just someone that has struggled with the ins and outs of epilepsy for almost three decades. My hope is that this podcast can provide insights that listeners just cannot get through existing support structures. I often commiserate with my longtime friends that also have epilepsy about how we collectively perceive that our memory is degenerating over the many seizure-filled years. Did you ever find yourself standing in one of the rooms in your house and you can't remember why you went in there? And two words float across your mind, Alzheimer's disease. If you remember from episode four, I had a brain surgery in 2017 to remove a tiny but ever-growing lesion. Before the surgery, my medical team at the Cognitive Science Center at Stanford walked me through a series of tests to verify the functionality that was in the section of the brain that held the lesion. These tests were about two and a half hours long, with a significant section spent just testing my memory fitness. I had always thought there was a single section of my brain that handled memory, an SD card to which all of the parts of the brain read and wrote. Though scientists are still working out how memory works in the human brain, they can say for sure that the act of making, storing, and retrieving memories is quite complicated and involves different parts of one's brain based on the information with which one is playing. It turns out that the frontal lobe is important for prospective memory. So, remembering to do things in the future. The left temporal lobe is important for verbal memories, such as learning names and memorizing facts for tests. One can tell that I have damage in this area because I get stuck trying to remember words for things, usually in mid-sentence. The right temporal lobe is important when processing visual memories, recognizing a person's face, for example. So these parts of the brain all work together to recognize a picture of a loved one, come up with their name, and remember to call them later. I know somebody here. I met him on a train. His name is James. No, his name is James Josephson. Lord, no, no. James Lawrence. Lawrence! Lawrence! Lawrence, <laughs> his name is James Jesterton. Lawrence Fell, Lawrence Jesterton, Lawrence Jesterton. Lawrence Jemison. Yes, yes, yes. <sighs> We're like this. On the day when I was to review my results with my doctor, I distinctly remember discussing with my wife that I was dreading the meeting. There was a portion of tests regarding basic memory skills I just knew I didn't get correct. In the appointment, my doctor greeted me with, Wow, you must be really smart. You scored just below average in intelligence on these cognitive science tests. After exchanging confused glances with my wife, I asked my doctor, How was scoring below average good? Oh, believe me, on the doses of medication you're taking right now, 
these results look fantastic. The anti-epileptic drugs, or AEDs, we take often include side effects that affect our own short-term memory. Any one of these side effects, like drowsiness, headaches, confusion, migraines, or just difficulty in concentration, can severely affect your ability to convert short-term memories into long. As you may have already guessed, taking a cocktail, or more than one AED, has a compounding effect. So, we're taking a lot of medications that affect our brain chemistry. Each new seizure causes additional damage, and our memory just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, right? You finished. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. Relax. It might not actually work like that. While there's little that we can do about damage to our brains and the medication we take, there's still a lot we can do. To understand the biggest thing, we have to look further into a few additional sections of the brain that are used to store sensory experiences. The amygdala is associated with encoding emotion. It works with the hippocampus to encode and store information. When we need to retrieve the memory, the prefrontal cortex is used to initiate the command. Here's the thing. Each of these, the amygdala, hippocampus, and prefrontal cortex, are all affected by chronic stress. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, as a group, I've noticed that people with epilepsy are pretty stressed out. I mean, who wouldn't be? Because of the random nature of our seizures, we don't know when the next one is going to pause our life or potentially cause us and the others around us pain. When one experiences any threat, not just stress, it is the amygdala that sounds out a signal. That signal puts our body into a fight or flight mode. Good for outrunning bears, this isn't very useful in most of our everyday lives. When our bodies hear the signal, it virtually dunks our brain in stress hormones. Research has shown that over time, chronic stress can actually change the brain structure by shriveling the hippocampus. With a smaller hippocampus, one cannot encode memories as well. While we can change our lives to remove stress, we can only go so far to prevent memory loss. Dr. Michael D. Garishas is in a group of researchers that published their findings through the journal Neuron. Rather than focusing on memory loss, they investigated memory gain. They took 51 people and taught them memorization strategies over a six-week interval. They then compared them against 17 of the best participants of the World Memory Championships. Wait, what? Yep, people at the World Memory Championships actually compete every year by memorizing hundreds of words, digits, or even abstract informational units within minutes. The first thing they found when they compared these athletes to the normal people with comparable IQs was that these noobs were able to compete comparatively well after six weeks. So the strategies they taught the noobs actually led to superior memory over time. My first question when I read this was, what the hell did they teach them? The most prominent mnemonic technique in the world of memorization is the method of loci. It is an ancient technique that goes back to the Greek and Roman orators. Remember, they didn't have teleprompters back then. Well, that's going to do it for all of us here at Channel 4 News. You stay classy, San Diego. I'm Ron Burgundy. Damn it! 
Who typed a question mark on the teleprompter? For the last time, anything you put on that prompter, Burgundy will read. Here, try to remember the following words. Butterfly, table, wine, police, stripe, and turtle. Yeah, great. No problem. What was the middle thing about the police? The strategy goes like this. One imagines a common path, say your favorite park's walkway or the drive home from work. In discrete locations or loci along the path, you place images of the words that you want to memorize. For example, if one was imagining a walk through their favorite path, one might think of a butterfly dancing at the first intersection, a table lying on its side at the mile marker, a bottle to represent wine next to the favorite tree, and so on and so on. The idea is to visualize each aspect of the path containing the items as much as you possibly can. What colors are the butterflies? What did the wine smell like? Here's Ronnie White. Well, they called the police because we broke a chair on the way out the door and I refused to pay for it. The cops showed up and at that point I had the right to remain silent, but I didn't have the ability. No, that's the comedian Ron White. Ronnie White is the back-to-back USA memory champion. In this next clip, he describes the strategy for memorizing the order of the presence of the United States as he stands in the middle of the Times Square in New York City. Basically, to remember anything, you need a place to store it. You need a place to put the information. So let's say now I wanted to memorize five pictures that represented the presidents of the United States. And then once I have my five spots selected, these become places where I want to store whatever I want to remember. I would take the first president, which is Washington, I would turn it into a picture, and I would see a washing machine interacting with the Bank of America sign. Maybe see the, the clothes flying out and the soap going everywhere, but a washing machine on Bank of America. And then right here on number two, which is the American Eagle sign, I would visualize a dam, and the dam's breaking, and it's filling up with water, and it's, it's flooding this area because a dam for Adams. And then number three, I would pretend like that basketball player had a chef's hat on. Third president was Jefferson or Jefferson. And then I would visualize NyQuil falling all over the stock market over there. The fourth president now that you've heard a champion, you try it. I'll give you another set of words, some time to process them, and we'll verify the answer at the end of the episode. Ready? Here we go. Book. Penguin. Angel. Green. Toy, glass, fire truck, and song. The second thing that the researchers found when testing the noobs against the memory athletes was that all of the memorization skills that were taught to the noobs didn't necessarily transfer to improving in the real world. For example, even the best athletes describe that they lose their keys just as often as newcomers. So, at the end of the day, don't freak out if you walk into a room and can't remember why you came in. It happens to all of us once in a while. Were you able to remember the words? They were book, penguin, angel, green, toy, glass, fire truck, and song. We would love to hear any of your comments or questions regarding this or any of our other episodes. You can reach out to us on brainablaze.com or Twitter at brainablaze. If you like this episode, consider subscribing or even helping us by providing a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download your content. One small click really does help. 
See you next time.